So at staff meeting this morning, we were, uh, I was just kind of sharing some thoughts about the message for tonight. So I talked about how in my preparation, I, I went back and changed last, last, week, no, last week's notes. <laughs> the, the message I preached last Wednesday, I went and changed them a little bit in case I ever preached it again. Because uh, this is kind of part two of last week. Not kind of, it is part two. Uh, leadership material part two. And we're going to continue in Second uh, Timothy, starting in verse 8. But I think last week, my points all centered around the, it had the, the tagline, a great leader, a great leader has this, does this, a, a great leader. And so when I was doing this message, uh, I felt like the, the better word is a godly leader. Because um, to be a great leader, you have to be godly. So a godly leader. So I went back and all, all my points for last week's message is now a godly leader has mentors, has, has godly mentors. And, uh, and a godly leader needs constant prayers and so on, so on and so forth. So with that in mind, we're continuing the theme that we had from last week, which is that Second Timothy is a personal letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. The first, first Timothy was more of the nuts and bolts of trying to set in order areas in the church at Ephesus that were out of order. And trying to get things right because false teachers had infiltrated the church at Ephesus. And Timothy, be, being young um, and being inexperienced, there were some people that were trying to, to take advantage of that. And so Paul is having to kind of give him some instructions. These are, these are the things that you need to do. You need to set this in place, remove this, 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 these people, organize. This is how the household of God should function. And then we go to 2 Timothy, and it's, it's like what Paul is doing here is now Paul is going after Timothy's heart. He told him all the things that he needed to do and to set in order, and now he's telling him, you don't have to be intimidated to do those things. You, can, you are empowered. You don't have to have a spirit of fear. God's not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so he's getting real personal with Timothy, trying to encourage him that, that he is equipped, that he's called. You, you remember last week, Paul told Timothy to stir up, fan into flame the gift of God that was given you by the laying on of my hands. And we talked about what that means is that a, a great leader, a godly leader is a leader who has a passionate heart, who keeps, who keeps that passion for God and, and, and that gifting that God's given them on fire, and, and, and they do that by staying in the Word and by being consistent in prayer and, and fellowshipping with the body of Christ. And, and so th- this, is, this is the theme. This is, this is what Paul is trying to do here. And he's just conti- he's going to continue on here in verse 8. So Paul is continuing his personal plea with Timothy about his life and his ministry. Timothy was feeling pressure from every side, from false teachers, from those who were looking down on him because of his youth, from within himself, he's probably very, very intimidated and overwhelmed, from outside the church, he's feeling pressure in the form of, of persecution. The, the temptation for Timothy would be to respond poorly under all this pressure and to compromise the truth. The, t- the temptation for Timothy would be to shrink back and to be timid. And that's why... We ended that. That's where we ended last Wednesday. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. So let's let's look at that. Second Timothy one, six and seven. It says, therefore, this is where we stopped. 
I remind you to stir up the gift of God, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so where we're going to pick up here in this next section is the continuing thought. So let's let's look at verse 8. We'll just read verses 8 through 18. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, nor share in suffering for the gospel by the but but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to, to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what, was, what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, And was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on on that day, on the day of God's judgment. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So, Paul is continuing his plea for for Timothy to be encouraged, to not shrink back, to not be timid. And if you remember last week, what was my encouragement to, to you guys? You guys are all... Leaders, all of us are leaders. The specific context is Timothy being a leader at the local church in Ephesus, but we're all leaders. And so it's important that, that we, at the same time, at we, we, we learn what Paul, was, what Paul was encouraging Timothy in, that we can apply it to our life as well, that we don't have to be intimidated when pressure comes. We don't have to cave under pressure from our culture, under pressure from, from false teachers, under pressure from anything that the enemy wants to do to get us to shrink back as godly leaders. So we're all called to be godly leaders so we can receive the same encouragement into our lives. So that last verse in verse 7, it says there, it says, it says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I want to key in on this phrase, sound mind. That a godly leader thinks a certain way. A godly leader has thoughts because a godly leader as, as my last point was last week, a godly leader rests in the sovereign care of God and he knows that the results are up to God. Because of that, because a godly leader trusts in God's care, he has a sound mind. He's not trusting in his own ability or her, her own ability to get the job done. A godly leader leans upon God for strength, for courage, for wisdom. And so, This picture of a sound mind. How does a godly leader think? How does a godly leader think? And that's and that's what we're going to look at. Let's look at. Let's go back to uh, Second Timothy, verse uh, chapter one, verse eight. It says, "Therefore, 
therefore. So when you look at the word therefore, the last verse said, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, and that, could, and that means because for this reason, because this is true, because what I, because what I just told you is true. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our, our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So the, the first way that a godly leader thinks is that a godly leader is not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is trying to encourage this in Timothy's life. He's trying to remind that if you're going to be a godly leader, you cannot cave in to the pressure and into the fear that the enemy is trying to, to impose on you because of the persecution, because of the false teachers, because of your insecurities, because you feel like you're inadequate, you're too young to be a, a great pastor or a great leader. You have been given a sound mind because the power of God, the love of God has flooded your life. And because of that, you have a sound mind and now you can think differently. And so therefore, because of that, do not be ashamed. Don't be scared. And so I, that, that's my, my encouragement to all of us. Because God's given us a sound mind and we rest in his peace. Therefore, we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be intimidated when you're on your job. And you bring up something about God, something about the gospel. And people give you the cold shoulder or they mumble under their breath as they walk away. And or maybe, maybe it gets even worse. Maybe they really ridicule you and make fun of you because of your faith, because you love Jesus. You don't have to be intimidated by that. You don't have to be filled with the spirit of fear. You can have a sound mind and you can know that God is in control and that, that you, you can stand for truth. You don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if, if you look at, at that verse there in verse 8, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. One of the reasons why Timothy specifically was, had a, would be a temptation for him to be ashamed was because of the suffering that was going on in the local church because of the name of Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy, you do not have to be ashamed. People are not going to agree with you. We shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't agree with us, right? We shouldn't be surprised. You know, when you're not a believer, when somebody is not a believer, you, you, you see the world completely different than we do as Christians. We look at life completely different. So it shouldn't shock us when the world doesn't agree with us. And, and just because the world doesn't agree with us doesn't mean that we have to be ashamed of what we believe is true. You know, People may ridicule you because you believe God created this universe and you don't believe that this is a result of a cosmic accident. Don't be ashamed of that. God's word says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Romans chapter 1 talks about how God has made it abundantly clear that there is a creator. And how did he do that? By the details of what was made, how grandiose creation is. How amazing it is. You can, it, 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 only a fool, God's word says, says in their heart there is no God. Because it's so clear there's a God. But people will ridicule you because of that belief. Because, because they'll say, well, you're just backwards. You believe an, arc, an, an old book that's outdated. 
you, you know, you're, you're not taking into consideration modern science and technology. That, 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 that book can't be true. Don't be ashamed to believe what you believe because you know it's true. Because it's transformed your life. Once you were filled with shame and guilt, but now you're forgiven and have peace. First Corinthians 1, 18 through 25 says this. For the word of the cross is what? Folly to those who are perishing, to those who aren't saved. But to us who are being saved, what, what is the word of the cross? What's the gospel? It is the power of God. Why do we see it as the power of God? What, what did the gospel do in your life? Start talking to me. Gave you life. Transformed you. Right? Set, set you free from addictions and bondages. This is what we talked about on Sunday. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to transform you, to make you righteous, to set you free from addiction and from being a slave to sin. And so we don't have to be embarrassed about that. We can be bold about that and say, yes, this is who I am. Yes, I, I am not ashamed of what the gospel did. The power, it is a power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. These are people who claim to be wise, but they're really fools. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of, of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So people are looking for the wisdom, for the higher knowledge to try to figure out life. And they don't realize that it's actually just a foolish message. That sinful people cannot save themselves and are guilty and sinners and that God became sent his son to become our substitute. That's folly. That's foolishness to people who are looking for. It's got to be something else. <laughs> that can't be yet, right? That's what they think. No, that, that, that can't, it's got to be something else. It's got to be reincarnation, right? I, it's got to be that I'm going to come back as a frog, right? It's got to be more complicated. It's got to be salvation through science, through higher knowledge, through deeper wisdom. For the foolishness of, let's go back to verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, it pleases, please God through, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, this is what we preach, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what, what appears to be weakness that the world looks at and says, you guys are just weak because you need a crutch to lean on. They're the ones that are foolish and are weak. And God takes the, that, 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 that weak thing that we are fully dependent on God and that's where he brings strength and power and he sets us free. So Paul's encouraging Timothy, you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Godly leaders are not ashamed of the gospel. So in your life, I just want to encourage you, a sound mind, somebody who rests in the power of God, the love of God, our mind is sound, and we can cannot be ashamed of the power of God and the gospel that has changed us. Luke 12, 4 through 5 tells this. Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do, do not fear 
those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's who you should be worried about. Don't be worried. Don't be worried when you're when people ridicule you and make fun of you. So at the end of the day, you're you're not going to stand in front of them. You're going to stand in front of a holy God. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed, this is the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so godly leaders, godly leaders are not ashamed of the gospel. This is how we think. Because we've been transformed, our mind has been transformed, and we are resting in the power of God and in his love we can stand in that and rest in that and not be ashamed, not be fearful of what people think about us. Amen? Let's, let's continue on. The second thought that I see here, or ways in which godly leaders think, is that godly leaders think biblically about suffering. So this is kind of the next thing that Paul is dealing with in Timothy's life. He wants him to think about suffering differently. And I think we need to think about suffering differently. So let's, let's go back to uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then let's go to verse 10 through 12. It says, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so as, as, as Christians, we, we view suffering differently than the world views it. And we should view it differently. And if we're going to be Godly leaders, if we're going to be leaders in our families and in our church and, 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 and the area, other areas that, that we lead in life, we have to be able to view suffering correctly as Paul is encouraging Timothy to view suffering. That this is the way the world views suffering. They see the lens, their life through the lens of temporary and immediate. And they see their, their life not in view of eternity and the fact that they're going to spend eternity somewhere one day. But because we see the world completely different, we see, as believers, we see that this is not our home, right? We see that we don't belong here. We see that we're foreigners and we're aliens. We're sojourners. We are, we're passing through. We are here for a moment, for a blink. The book of, the book of James says that life is like a vapor. It appears for a moment and then it's gone. And so, an unbeliever doesn't see their life like that. They see their life as focused on the temporary, on the right now. What can I get out of life right now? And, and, so, and so when they suffer, there's no real context or no real place where they can, can stand and place their feet that is solid. But as believers, when we go through suffering, when, when, when we go through pain, we see it completely different because we know that the suffering in this life is momentary. It's short. And that even in the middle of suffering, that God is working something in our hearts so that we can be a testimony of the goodness of God in the middle of pain. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says this. 
So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting. Our, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this light momentary affliction called life and our suffering, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are here, they're they're temporal, they're transient. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. So godly leaders, we should, as, as believers, we should view suffering through the lens of eternity. You know, all, all the apostles, except John, who wrote Revelation on, on the Isle of Patmos, all the apostles were martyred for their faith. Every single one of them. And the early church, Christians, which is who Paul is writing this letter to, to Timothy, they, they experience intense, intense persecution. And it, it would cost them the very life to stand for Christ. And so for the most part, you know, it, if we view Christianity through the lens that Christianity is about our temporary fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness, then we, it, you know, we, we see it incorrectly. Because the same God that we worship and the same Jesus that saved us was the same God and the same Jesus that saved Timothy and that he was following. And the apostles that all lost their life for the faith. So if Christianity is about your temporary happiness and the stuff that you can get and the blessing that you can accumulate, where was their blessings? What did they accumulate? What about the believers all over the world and in, in, in the Middle East today, currently, that lose their life for the faith? Where are their blessings? What, 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 what are they missing out on? Is it because maybe they don't have enough faith? What, were the early church Christians, did they not have enough faith? And because of that, that's why they, they lost their life? Did they not pray hard enough? Believe God hard enough for protection? See, they didn't have this lens of suffering like what we're tempted to have. See, we're, we're tempted to believe because of false teaching that we, don't, that we shouldn't suffer in this life. That life as a believer should be that we should go from one point of blessing to another point of blessing. That life should be smooth sailing. But we all know that's not true, right? But we, we still will hear those things that are taught and people will get sucked into that type of teaching. But whenever we see correctly that, that life is not about me. Life is not about my temporary happiness. Life is not about the accumulation of wealth. You know, every time I preach a funeral, I preach the same message. So if you ever get to come and to a funeral that I go to, you'll hear this same message. And I always talk about my last point in the funeral message is this, is that we have to evaluate often what is most important in this life. And I always tell the story of Tom Brady and how Tom Brady did an interview with CBS several years back. And at that point, he had won three Super Bowls. And he was, I mean, multimillionaire, married to a supermodel, had lots of wealth and houses and success in every area of his life. And the interviewer asked him, basically, you know, what else is out there? Is there anything else out there for you to do and to accomplish? Or, or, or basically, what's this life all about? And Brady said, you know, I believe that there's something missing. He said, there's got to be more than this. And the interviewer asked him, says, well, do you know what that is? And Brady said, I wish I knew. Like, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what, was that, what, what else this life is all about. 
Because he clearly was understanding that it wasn't about money. It wasn't, life's not about money, not about fame, not about winning Super Bowls, not about being, not about people being jealous over all the things that you have. Life's not about all, all of that. And so that's how, if, if, we, if we buy into the lie of this culture, or we buy into the lie of false teachers that tell us that life is about here and now, then we miss the point. John 15, Jesus Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Basically, because you're a believer, the world's going to hate you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And that's a true picture of what this life is like and what we should expect. Jesus is telling us what what we should expect. We've been given a, a reprieve in America from a lot of this. There's other people around the world that they understand what Jesus is saying in John 15 because it's costing them something to bear the name of Jesus. The biblical view of suffering is that life is not about me and my temporary fulfillment and happiness. Our lives should be about living in such a way that God is glorified and the gospel is made beautiful through us. How does that happen? This statement right here. Our lives should be about living in such a way that God is glorified and the gospel is made beautiful through us. It's made beautiful through us in the middle of our suffering. Now, you know, now I know there's two different types of sufferings we're talking about. We're talking about persecution that they experience. But, I, but I'm broadening it to any type of suffering that we go through. Sickness, disease, loss of a job where you are suffering in this life and there's no reason why you should have joy. But the gospel is made beautiful when in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your pain, when the world, because they only have a temporary view of this life, they think, how is it that you can still have peace even though you're filled with cancer? How is it you can still have peace when you don't have as much money as you used to have? And you, and you, you state it plainly. You say, it's because... I have a peace that the world does not offer. I have a peace that the world cannot give. And it's only found in in Jesus Christ. And And that's when people start listening. That's when they start listening. Because they're like, wait a minute. I've got all the stuff. And I've got the job. And and I'm healthy. But I'm not happy. I have no peace. I have no joy. But you, you don't have all the stuff. You you're sick. And your, 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 and your kids left and, and they're acting crazy and all the different things that we can go through in this life. We suffer, but we have peace. We have joy. We have forgiveness. That's attractive. That's what makes the gospel beautiful. And God is glorified through us. A, God, a godly leader sees the world like that. And this is what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. He's trying to tell him, look, I, I know it's difficult. I know that the temptation is for you to be timid and to shrink back. And to not be bold about the gospel because it could cost you your life. But I'm telling you, do not be ashamed of of the gospel. And understand that because 
you preach the gospel, you're going to suffer. And it's going to be difficult. He's trying to encourage him to stand his ground, to be bold and to trust in God. Romans 8.28 is a really popular verse. But it's really so powerful and so true for those that love the Lord. It says, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God. How many people in here love God? That would be you. So you're included in this. And we know that for those who love God, all things. What are all things? Everything. Everything. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all good things work together for good. That's what we would like it to be. God, make all the good things work together for my good. I don't want any of the bad things. But how many of you know, I mean, we've all experienced this. It's, it's pain that helps, is, is most of the, pain is most of the time the way that God uses, what God uses to help us to grow, right? It's pain in your marriage that sends you to your knees and says, God, we're desperate. We need you. Right? It's whenever you're, you're, you're overwhelmed with temptation and sin and you're at the end of your rope. It's that pain of guilt and shame that drives you to your knees and you surrender and say, God, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. It's pain. God uses pain. All things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, work together to make us more like Christ so that the gospel will be beautiful through us and so that God will be glorified. So we will become more like Jesus. Isn't that the goal of the Christian life? To become more like Christ? And that as we become more like Christ, even in the midst of the craziness of our life, we adorn the gospel beautifully. We wear it well. And people look at us and say, man, I, I, I don't know about that message. Seems really foolish. Doesn't make a lot of sense that God would sacrifice his son for his enemy. But you... Your life demonstrates to me and shows me that God is real. He's done something in you. Isn't that powerful? And that, that, that's, that's, that's what, that's, you know, you know why the early church grew so much? Because of that. Because they couldn't kill the church. They kept trying to kill the Christians, but they couldn't. It didn't stop the church. It grew more and more. The more they persecuted the church, the more it, the more the church exploded. More and more people were added to, to, to the church. The, the more pressure they came, the more beautiful the gospel became because the people that were under the pressure were not ashamed. And they stood up for what they believed. And what they believed in was a resurrected Christ. You know, we're going to celebrate the resurrected Christ in about two weeks. And that's what they lost their life over, was the belief and the reality that Jesus was not in that tomb. And his body wasn't stolen. It it was resurrected. So persecution purges the church, but it strengthens the church and causes the church to grow. Amen? We should see suffering through the lens of God's sovereign care. No matter what happens to us, God's plan for us will never be thwarted. Hmm. You know, 
the statement I'm about to say, I'm trying to figure out how to say it, but I, I don't like that this statement is true. But it's still true that even the bad things in my life, the things that I don't like, I'm not talking about my sin and the things that I've caused. The things that are difficult in, in my life. God hasn't removed himself from those situations. It's gone through, I guess what you would call a father filter. He's not, God's not a God that's up in the corner of heaven somewhere and just said, you know, I'm going to, I'm just kind of like dropping a snowball down a mountain and says, okay, good luck, everybody. Have fun with sin and rebellion and pain and destruction and sickness and suffering. God is with us. He is with us. And everything comes through through his filter. And I don't know how to work all that out. I don't. So I'm not going to be honest with you. Because there's lots of questions that comes in people's minds. So you're saying that even like sickness and cancer and difficulties and tragedies... I don't know how it all works, but I know that God's not gone. I know that God's not in the corner just letting, just saying, well, well, I'm going to leave you up. I'm, I'm just going to let all this happen to you, and I'm, and I'm gone, and you figure it out. No, God is right there with us in the midst of all of that. God doesn't cause those things. But when we see suffering through that lens, that God is sovereignly with us, caring for us in the middle of that, and none of that took him by surprise. That he is with us. That's, that's a solid place to stand. The opposite place to stand is, is that, well, it's just my fault. It's everybody else's fault. So-and-so did that. They're the ones that caused that. And, 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 and now, basically, man's just left up to himself to figure it all out. And that's just not true. It is just not true. And, and, and where, where I'm going to land and where I want you to land is just in the care of God. And that's the lens with which we should see suffering. And no matter what happens to us, God's plan will never be thwarted because God can't, God's plan cannot be stopped in your life. No matter what any, anybody does to you or what you, or what you do, you're mess ups and failures because all things work together for the good of those that love God. Amen. Okay. That was a deep, that was, that was deep there for a second. Let me take a drink of water. Get to my third point. Let's look at 2 Timothy, back to 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. These two verses are so powerful. Paul is telling Timothy, you need to follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me, heard from Paul, in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, guard the good deposit. What's the good deposit? It's the gospel. The gospel has been, de- been deposited in your life. Guard the gospel. And follow the sound words. What are, what are the sound words? It's the gospel. It's the truth of God's word. Follow those sound words that you've heard me speak. And guard the gospel. That deposit that's been given you. So the third way that a godly, that a godly leader thinks is that godly leaders... Have a love for the scriptures. Godly leaders have a love 
for the scriptures. And that is what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy in his life. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. So primarily, Paul's trying to encourage Timothy, you've got to follow the, the, the pattern of sound teaching. And you need to guard the gospel message. These false teachers that have been trying to come in and infiltrate the church, you protect the purity of the message. Protect the purity of the message of the gospel. Don't let anybody say that the gospel is something that it's not. But for us as believers right now, what, what does that look like for us as people who want to be godly leaders? Godly leaders have a love for the scriptures. And that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy. You need, if you're going to do those things, it's going to be because you love God's word. And godly leaders have a love for, for scripture. And that love motivates them to follow carefully its truths and to guard the purity of the message. We love the word of God. Because we love the God of the word. Right? We don't want to just be people that we just love the word of God because we love to study and, and we just want to be spiritual like educated giants and we, we know how to, how to take apart the Greek and the Hebrew and, 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 and we're just like spiritual eggheads, right? We just, that's not what we want to be. We, we, we want to love God's word because we love the God of the word. And that, and that, that's, that's what it should be like. It shouldn't ever be backwards. It should be that because we love God, then we are drawn to His Word and we love the Scriptures. We don't love God's Word for the purpose of gaining head knowledge. We love God's Word because the God of the Word has transformed our lives and we desire to know Him more. First Peter, this is one of my favorite Scriptures about loving God's Word. First Peter 2, 1 through 3 says this says, So put away all malice. And all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Wow. A good scripture there, right? We pass over stuff like that. Put away malice and deceit. Quit lying. Quit being a hypocrite and being jealous and quit slandering each other, right? Wow. But verse 2 is so awesome. I, I, I love this verse. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So what is that picture right there where it says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk? How does a newborn infant let you know they're hungry? Will they shut up until you put something in their mouth? I mean, you can, you can, you can, you can take that baby out, out of the crib and you can rock it and bounce it and walk it all around the house. You can put it in the Buick like they do on TV <laughs> and ride, ride around the block because the Buick has a great ride and will put the baby to sleep. That baby will not sleep if that baby's hungry. You can, you can try all the tricks, but until that baby is, has something in its mouth that's feeding that baby, they're not going to stop. I, as I was studying this out, this picture in the original languages gives us this picture. It, it, uh, it, it's, it's an intense, consistent, reoccurring, and relentless craving. That's what Peter is saying that our love for God's word should be like. An intense, consistent, reoccurring, relentless craving. And that's the picture of a newborn baby. It's relentless, it's consistent, and it's reoccurring. Every two hours, every three hours, food, food, food. And so this, a godly leader has that type of love for God's word. It's consistent. It's relentless. It's reoccurring. And why is it? It's because we have been transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of God's word. And so we have this consistent, relentless longing for God's word. 
This intense love and craving for God's word is why we care so deeply about God's word. We are, we are not satisfied until we have the desire of our heart, until we have taken in God's word. And so a godly leader loves God's word. And that's what Timothy is, as Paul is encouraging Timothy, Timothy, you got to preach the word. And he, and he said it, he, he, he said it in 1 Timothy, he's going to continue to say it in 2 Timothy, preach the word, preach the word. Love God's word and preach the word. The intense love and craving for God's word is why we care so deeply about it. And then the second point that Paul told Timothy, he said, I want you to guard the deposit entrusted to you. So guard the gospel. Because we love the word so, so, so much, we care about the message being taught accurately. Who in here has ever been misrepresented? Yeah, we've all been, mis- been lied about. Someone said something about you, it's just not true. Right? And it bothers you. How does it make you feel? Makes you feel angry. Like, wait a minute, that's not true. I didn't do that. I, I didn't say that. Or, or more likely like this, I didn't say it like that. <laughs> My body language wasn't like that. They misinterpreted that text. <laughs> text messages are so aggravating. They can be so, people can misrepresent you all the time in text messages. You guys got to put like 15 smiley faces as every text just in case. Put an LOL just in case so people know that you're not mad or angry. You know, don't do all caps. You know, make sure you do LOL and smiley faces and hearts and so you don't get misunderstood. But when you get misrepresented, it bothers you because it, it, it's, it's, it's like a, it's, a, it's an attack against your character. It's an attack against what you stand for, what you believe to be true. What is true what, and what is true about you? And shouldn't that be the way we feel when somebody takes the gospel and doesn't preach it right? And tells people that salvation is a different way? It really makes me upset. It bothers me when I hear the gospel message not preached accurately. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. He's saying, this deposit of the gospel message that, that I've given you that's come from the Lord... You need to guard and protect that message because it it is only through the gospel message that men can be saved. And so if that is the truth, right, that it's only through the preaching of the gospel that that men are saved, wouldn't it stand to reason that that gospel better be preached accurately according to what the scripture says? Can it be preached different? Can we add to it? Can we take away from it? Can we make it mean something that it doesn't mean? No, because if you do that, then men cannot be saved. It has to be preached the way it's been delivered to us for it to have its powerful work. And so this is, so, so how do we do that? Well, I think one, one of the ways we guard this deposit is that we, we turn off the trash that's on a lot of Christian TV stations. We don't listen to those things, right? Whenever, whenever you hear a message that you just know in your heart, this is not true. This is not right. Something's not right with this. Man, just turn it off. Just, just close that book. Don't read it. Don't look at it. Don't, 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 don't dwell on it. Guard that deposit that's been placed in you. And don't take part in those things. And look, you know, there are times I think people try to get on Facebook and social media and try to take apart things that aren't true and false gospels and false messages. That's kind of fruitless to do that. You know, I, I would just encourage you to stay away from that. I've tried to do that before. It doesn't really work. <laughs> people just get more mad at you. You know, just... Just, God will give you opportunities. 
to help people that aren't believing what's right. And just do it privately with that person. And because uh, you just stir up controversy when you're on social media. You know, I'm about to delete my I'm, I'm going to be accountable to all you guys right now. Hold me to this. I'm about to delete my Facebook uh, uh, profile. Uh, I, you know, I, I get off of it from time to time. Um, but I'm just going to let, let you guys know. And I'm going to post a status so everyone can hear it. Everyone can see it that I am deleting it. It's going to be gone. And I'm going to put my email address. So if any of you want to contact me, you don't have my phone number. My email will be on there. And you can contact me. So if you're looking for me on Facebook, you want to send me a message on Messenger in just a few days. It's going to be gone after we get all the pictures off of it that we need to get. And so I'm just getting off of it. I just I just get tired of Facebook. There's so much controversy and drama and fake news and Trump this and Trump that. And what did Trump do? What did he didn't do? What didn't he do? Uh, I just... Oh, have mercy. I'd rather live in reality than Facebook world. So um, if you want to join me, I, I welcome you to join me in a new in a new world. And those of you that are there, you know what I'm talking about. And look, there's nothing. Don't, I'm not shaming you for Facebook, but I'm just I've been on Facebook for six or seven years, maybe longer. And uh, so I, I know what it's all about. But anyway, OK. So don't, don't argue with people on Facebook. It makes no sense to do that. But when someone misrepresents you, it aggravates you. And so it should, should aggravate you, make you upset, righteously angry when, some, when somebody misrepresents the gospel. So what is this message? What's the message that we should guard and protect and stand up for? It's, it's in the text. This is the message. If you want to know the gospel, this is the gospel. This is the text we just read. 2 Timothy 1. 8 through 11. Here's the gospel message. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, about the Lord, nor of, his, or, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the, gospel, uh, for the gospel by the power of God. So what is the gospel? This is the gospel. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. So this is the first part of a true gospel. It's not man-centered. It's not works-driven. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Not by works so that any, any person can boast. That's the book of Ephesians. It's because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. That's the gospel message. It's Salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's apart from works. It's by his grace. He's the one that has brought it. So that, 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 that's how God the leaders should think. They should not, we should not be ashamed. No reason to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should... Think biblically about suffering. And we should love God's word. Leaders, godly leaders, great leaders. You want to be a great godly leader? You got to love God's word. Stand for the truth. Believe in the truth of God's word. Amen? Amen. Anybody have anything else they want to add? <laughs> I got two, two minutes. Any thoughts, complaints, questions, concerns? Y'all wouldn't tell me your concerns, would you? Just tell me after. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for your word. 
God, I thank you that you love us so much, God, as, as we talked about after prayer. Lord, you just, you love us so much that you sent your son, your only begotten son, to die on the cross for us, to be our substitute, to pay the ransom that we could not pay. We thank you for that love. And God, I thank you for all these leaders here tonight. These people, Lord, that are called to be your leaders, to represent you in this earth. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. We would not be intimidated when people ridicule us because of what Jesus has done in us. But let us be bold about our gospel witness. And Lord, I pray also that you'd help us to see suffering correctly. To understand, Lord, that you're with us and you never leave us. You never forsake us. You're with us in the middle of our suffering. And Lord, the suffering we go through, Lord, you, you even use it to demonstrate the power of the gospel in the lives of those that don't know you. And Lord, finally, God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be like babies, newborn infants that are not satisfied with anything else in this life. We, we have to have your word. We have to have your truth. We long for it. We, there's a consistent, relentless, passionate, reoccurring drive in our heart to, to know your word, to know you. God, I pray that would be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys be blessed, and we will see you on Sunday.